Welcome to the Advisor Inner Circle Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Gordon, and I am here with my co-host, John Curry. John, great to see you again. Good to see you, Steve. So, folks, today we're uh, we're going to cover part two of, um, of an episode that we started uh, last week. And so if you haven't listened to that, um, you can listen to this independently. You can go back to that. But we're talking about sales presentations. And, uh, John, in the last episode, we talked about one-on-one presentations that you would make in the office, you know, directly in front of a prospect. And, um, and, and I'd like to take a minute just to recap that. And then let's get into how you're using one-to-many presentations, you know, seminars, webinars, things like that, to get to the point of having that one-on-one conversation to, to get people to book appointments. So <clears throat> real quickly, let's, let's recap what we covered uh, last week. Um, with with those in the office presentations and um, and you've got a particular way that you start those off that is really really effective. You ask a, a question that kind of that, that puts your prospect at ease. You want to explain that real quick? Yes. Well, the first thing I do once I join them because usually someone on my team will get them seated and get them comfortable, give them water, coffee, whatever they want, soda. And when I walk in the doors, hello, how you doing? But when we sit down, I always like to start one of two ways. Either, how can I bring value today for you? But usually I would simply say this, it's good to see you. Uh, how much time have you allocated for our meeting today? And speaking of time, what would you like to accomplish in our time together? In other words, how can I bring value? But I usually would start by asking the time question because I want to know how much time do they have? Are they stressed out? Do they have plenty of time? No time? Something's happened on the way there that's messed up their mental state? If so, then maybe the best thing I can do is reschedule. But if they're ready to go and I'm ready to go, then we'll, we'll get right down to work. Well, and I, I, I think that to me is, is the most critical piece of the entire meeting. And, um, and the reason that I wanted to repeat that is I think it, it, it really summarizes how to start a meeting off well. And if you start it off well, you'll generally end up where you want to go. Um, which is ultimately serving that client. So um, uh, thanks for sharing that. And I think it also ties into knowing, knowing that that's where we're going to begin a one-on-one meeting. If we work kind of backwards from there, we've got to somehow generate that lead and we need to be, have them prepared to have that conversation that begins in that way when they come in and, and have that appointment. So, um, so, you are probably one of the masters of using seminars as a way to book appointments and as a way to create demand for your practice. Um, talk a little bit about your experiences in seminars over the years. I know you've been doing it for a long time. Um, just kind of give us a quick overview of, of why you have found them to be so important. Well, um, I decided a long time ago, my first seminar, by the way, was back in January of 1982. 82. And it was a total flop. Back then, didn't have the computer. I was using a, a flip chart, those big old easels. You flip it over, and I was writing as I went. And <clears throat> you can't make this up. About halfway through my presentation, a guy comes walking in a side door. It was the old Hilton man, which you know is Doubletree. The guy comes walking in the side door. He's got a cigarette in his hand with a long ash and a drink in the other. He goes, what group was this? And boom, he hit the ground. 
right in front of me. And I honestly thought somebody, one of my buddies that set me up, you know, you know <laughs> was having fun at my expense. That wasn't it. So people come running in. They found, oh, here he is. Here he is. We're so sorry. We're so sorry. And they picked him up and got him out of there. I don't know whatever happened to him, but uh, that was right in the middle of my presentation. And everybody's like freaking out. And I said, okay, let's get back under control. And I finished the presentation. But I was so shook up from that, Steve. I didn't do another <laughs> presentation until October of 82. I'm sorry, uh, 81, 1981. And uh, that's when I did that. That um, what got me doing the seminars is realizing that if I can get as few as five, the fewest I've ever done was one. One guy showed up in a, in a rainstorm. But if I can get one to many working for me, meaning M-A-N-Y, many, if I can have myself in front of several people at one time, well, it saves a lot of my time. And what, let's just say I have 10 couples in the room. And let's suppose that two will never want to work with me no matter what I say or do. They don't like me. They don't like something about me. When do I want to know that? I want to know it the very first time together if I can. So if it allows me to narrow down the two that maybe hate me, don't want to deal with me, the two that really love me and want to get in now, and then the ones in the middle the remaining six, we will see where they go. Well, let's start with that part and dissect that some, and then we can come back and go as deep as you want. Yeah, I, I think that's, to me, that's the big advantage of, of beginning to think in terms of one-to-many lead generation. And, you know, one of the things that, I hear from advisors when, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll book a call and they'll want to talk with me about marketing, but they haven't really done any before. They've generally been going around doing one-to-one prospecting, you know, they'll network and they'll try and turn that into a meeting, a relationship, and it takes a lot of time and, and all of that's good. I don't, we're not saying that you shouldn't necessarily do that. I still do some. Yeah, of course. Um, you know, there are certainly effective ways to do it. And we can talk about that in a future episode. But when you can put people in a room like that, you give yourself the opportunity to really separate the good prospects from the bad. And often, yes, they need to have money and all that. And I, the thing I hear over and over and over again from advisors, and I, almost like I could, I can have the conversation with them at this point. I've had so many of these conversations. I'll ask them, okay, well, who's your, who's your ideal client? And they'll say, well, I'm really targeting high net worth individuals. And they'll go on to describe them. And they all describe the exact same person, right? Yes. And yes, you need somebody with money. But more importantly, you need somebody that wants to solve a problem that you can solve. Otherwise, you are in deep trouble. I would modify that even deeper and simply say this. If, if you said to me, what, just ask me, so John, who's your ideal client or prospect? So, John, who is your ideal client or prospect? First of all, it's someone who has a mindset that they're focused on retirement planning. Number two, hopefully they have a whole bunch of money that will soon be in motion. Because if they have the mindset to do something about retirement planning, would it be, which, when should I take Social Security? Help me understand Medicare Part A and Part B. I've got this lump sum of money that's going to be coming to me, whether it be in state government or 401k or someone who's just sold a business and has a gazillion dollars to do something with and they're scared to death. So they have the mindset, number one. And number two, if they have money to go with it, guess what? That's great. Now, sometimes I attract people to me who have very little money. We just did an account last week. It was only $25,000. And you know what? 
there'll be more coming in the future, but probably not for five years. But I'm not going to tell that person no, because I sent out the marketing message. I sent it out to the universe saying, hey, this is what I want. This person found their way to me. So I'm not about to turn her down. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. And and you said two very important things there that I think are the, the entire key to to being successful in any business. Okay. Number one, you, you said that my ideal client is someone who has the right mindset. Yes. They have a mindset for, in your case, for retirement planning. Okay. And I see this all the time, not just with advisors, with all the different businesses that, that we work with. People try and convince prospects that couldn't care less about the thing that you do. They don't see, right. you know, John, in your case, it would be trying to go and convince someone who doesn't believe that they have an issue with retirement or doesn't believe they're going to live past the age of 45. And, uh, and so they're not really concerned about what happens after that. Right. And they've convinced themselves of that. And you're trying to twist their arm to come and do business. And that's a really difficult exercise to participate in. Well, it's difficult, it's tiring, and I did that in the early days of my career. And I, I surprise people around me now, even my, my team sometimes, will say, well, you know, if we just keep following up, we'll get his business. Just before we got on this uh, call together, uh, one of my teammates came in and said, we got this person who wants to cancel some insurance, what are you going to do about it? I said, just process the paperwork. We've had the conversation several times because there's nothing I can say or do to force this person to do anything. But yet sometimes we in sales think that we are magicians and we can do it. And sometimes we can do it, but it wears us out. And then we have to do it again and again and again. So the the best example I ever heard was this. If we're going fishing, okay, if we're going rainbow trout fishing, we're not going to be trying to catch catfish, bass, brim, et cetera. We're going to focus on that one thing. Now I'm the kind of person when I go fishing, I like to catch some of everything. So so (laughs) my marketing side, I have, members of the Florida retirement system, the university system. I have doctors, lawyers, business owners, but what they all have in common, they all have in common this mindset. Look, I want to do something to improve my retirement position. And that's all I need. If you just, you give me that little bitty sliver. And then if they have an open mind and willing to learn and be coached, then I'll probably have a client. If not, it's okay. So you said two important things. That was the first one this focus on mindset. The second, and and this is, I think, more specifically for advisors is that they have money in motion or that they're going to have money in motion at some point in the future at the, that's predictable. Yes. Uh, which, in, you know, in your case, working with folks in the Florida retirement system, they go through a program called DROP and within a set number of years, they're going to have, a, a, you know, some amount of money that they've got to do something with, right? So if you get them right before they go in or, or, you know, early on in that process, you can, you can help them as that, that money moves later. But, um, but those two criteria, I think work together really nicely. And then you go and you put a seminar together and in that seminar, you promote it so that it attracts people that have the right mindset. And I would guess it tends to attract people that have money in motion because that's going to make that problem relevant for them at this point in time. 
It does. And what happens sometimes I'll attract people who they've got to make a decision literally in a few days. Others, they've just started the looking process. They've been to other people's seminars or webinars and they're checking us out. So we'll have everything from I'm skeptical, but I'm going to check you out to I've heard about you. I've known about you for years. Now I'm serious. I want to start moving forward. So I'm coming to the seminar to kind of reignite the relationship. And then they come in and when those people come in. We know we're doing business. We don't know what it is yet, per se. Yeah, it might be insurance, it might be annuities, it might be managed money, but we know we're doing something. <clears throat> well, and and uh, to me, that that makes all the difference. I see so many advisors struggling to do all that one-on-one prospecting, and they do a lot of it cold, or they, they'll network themselves to death. And you have been, for out, throughout your entire career, having people come to you, but you've given them a reason to come to you. And I want to talk a little bit about how you're doing that, how you're structuring the seminars um, so that it's attractive for somebody to, to come and listen to you. Because a lot of the stuff that I see out there that, that's done when advisors put seminars on, you know, they go and they buy a big fancy steak dinner at a really expensive, nice restaurant. They tend to get people who are hungry rather or hungry for food rather than hungry for information. And, um, and often the topics are really self-serving for the advisor. It's about whatever you're selling. Now you take a different approach. Well, before we go there, let's talk about, I, I did some of the same stuff you talked about earlier. Uh, I, I didn't pick up on a lot of cold calling, but I would do direct mail, then follow up with calls. So I've done all of that stuff too, which is why I came in the business in 1975. So it took me to, to 1981, six years later, five and a half to be exact, to get serious about doing something from a, I didn't know it was marketing back in those days. I just knew I had to do something to get myself in front of more people and move the needle along so I could survive. So for me, it was finding a way to get in front of people. So that was either seminars or giving speeches. Webinars didn't exist back in those days. You know, what we're doing here didn't exist back in those days. So I would start giving speeches and also doing the seminars. But what got me doing it and how I decided to structure it was to focus way back then even on the retirement planning side. That was what I had an interest in because that's what my clients had an interest in. You know, um, uh, Dale Carnegie has in his book, one of his books, the very first chapter, very first paragraph is he loves to go trout fishing somewhere in Maine. He said he loved strawberry shortcake, but he discovered that the trout did not care for strawberry shortcake. They like worms, so he used worms. So I think it's very important for us to understand that we, and you said it earlier, when we choose a market, whether we use these words or not, we're choosing a group of people to serve. And hopefully we intend to serve them, not just make a quick buck and be gone. If so, we'll be out of business. But those of us who were in this for the long run, we understand the importance of serving a flock, serving a herd, whichever metaphor you want to use, so that you have a relationship that they'll come back to you when they have more money and they'll send people to you that they know need your services. So with all that in mind, that's why I like doing the seminars. To me, the seminar is best, webinar second. Seminar allows me, Steve, to invite existing clients as well as new prospective clients into one room. And we'll talk about what that looks like in a moment, what we serve. 
But by getting people there, I have one half hour of registration and refreshment time. It's not unusual. You've been to them. You've seen it where people say, hey, I haven't seen you in 15 years. You know, you're working with Curry. Oh, yeah. I've been a client of John's for 30 years. 30 years. So next thing you know, you've got chemistry happening. They'll be sitting together, talking, you know, chit-chatting. And then next thing you know, they feel like they know me like the existing client. So it's a very powerful dynamic to see that happen. Well, I think that's that's part of the genius in, in the way that you structure them. I see a lot of people try it with, um, you know, where they're only inviting prospects. And um, and it just doesn't work quite as well. In fact, I've got a client in, a, in, a, in the banking industry. And, uh, you know, we, in, in that business, she's selling to CEOs of, of community banks all over the country. And the most important thing we do is engineer a reason for her existing clients, the CEOs of these banks, to get on a plane and come to one of her two-day seminars so that they are in the room with the prospects. Yes. Otherwise, that <clears throat> well. So, um, so I think that's a, that's a key component of this. And it is, it's really, um, it, you know, when I've watched it, I, I sit back and I just sort of observe the room and, and sort of smile because you, you're just watching uh, all of these people who were skeptical about coming into the seminar to begin with. They don't know you. And invariably, they'll run into someone that they know from church and community, wherever. And, um, and all of a sudden they feel at home. All of a sudden they, um, they're now a part of the group. There's this connection that wasn't there before. And, and you can't create that really any other way other than putting them in the room with someone they already know and trust and respect. Or if they don't know them, they feel like they know them. And by that, yeah. I mean, if you've got someone in the group who I've, I've seen <laughs> advisors, want to cut people off who have something to say. I, I do the opposite. I sit down on my stool I have up front and let, I let that person talk. Now, if I, I'll watch the body language of people around them. If it's going too far, then I'll stand up. And usually when you stand up, the person understands, okay, I got to cut this short. And if they don't, I'll say, all, all good stuff you're covering, but we're limited on time. I need to move on. And they'll understand. But if people hear from someone that has this attitude and a mindset of, okay, this is good stuff. I've been coming to these things for years. I remember one night a guy, his name is John also. I could tell he wanted to say something. I said, John, you have something you want to say? He said, I do. He said, I'm going to disagree with the gentleman who just said something. I said, I've been coming to these. He said, I've been to about 27 of your seminars now. I said, 27? You've been a client for almost 40 years. He said, 37 years. He said, for a long time, I would not go to seminars. Now, if I'm in town, I come to your seminars because I learn something new every time. He said, folks, don't just, just don't come one time and leave. Keep coming back. You'll learn more. You'll learn more and you'll, you'll be a better client. And John would be a better advisor for it. And he's right. Because if we truly as advisors want to get better, then we need to be listening to what the people around us are saying, positive and negative, and then taking that and using it. Now, there's some things I'm not going to change, you know, but I, want, I do want feedback. And by the way, there's a difference between constructive criticism and evaluation. Someone says, we, are you open to constructive criticism? I said, no, thank you. They go, oh, I said, love some evaluation, though. <laughs> there, is <a> <laughs> there is a difference. 
So let, let, let's kind of break down your, your seminar process a little bit. Um, because I, I know for a lot of folks who haven't done them, the first thing they think is, well, how am I going to fill the room? And I need to get 50 people there for it to be worthwhile. And I've got to do this elaborate thing because I'm trying to impress them. Um, and so let, let's debunk some of the myths. Okay. So first, how big does a seminar be to be, need to be to be successful? How many people do you need there? Uh, I think as few as five, ten, maybe a dozen. I, I, I tell our team, I don't really want to do one for less than ten. I will if we have ten that are uh, confirmed. And for whatever reason, only five show up, the show goes on. Now, if we, we just canceled one last month because we only had two people that were interested, and it was the way the seminar was structured. And I told the parties that were involved, I said, this, I don't think this is going to work, but I'm willing to try it if you want me to. I'll help you. Uh, but they, they left out a couple of key elements, and they didn't want to listen to me. And I said, well, okay. So the, the day before, two days before, rather, they said, uh, this isn't going to work. We've got to revamp. I said, well, I would recommend you call the two people, invite them to come in and meet with you personally, and then we can in include them the next go around. But it's, and it's okay to pull the plug, you know. Heck, I, I screwed up one time years ago. We, a hurricane was coming our way, not a hurricane, but a bad storm. Um, so I canceled. I luckily I stayed up front to greet anybody who came in. We had fifteen people show up. Fifteen. In the storm. And I came in the back and went to work. I said, come on back. You're here. Let's go. I said, I don't have any food. Uh, I don't have a presentation. We're just going to talk. So the 15, 13 came to the back. Nine of them became clients. <laughs> so you just need to show up, you know. <laughs> well, I think that's the that's one of the most important things for folks to hear on this. If you're, th if you're contemplating doing seminars of, of any kind, um, you know, don't get hung up, particularly when you're just getting started. Don't get hung up on how many people are in the room. Because frankly, if you're doing everything one-on-one -on -one right now and you can get two people in the room, you've doubled your productivity. And if you can get five people in the room, so much the better. But, you know, for most, uh, for most folks, if you can get five to 10, you know, even 20 people on the, the high end, and that's all you ever did. And you consistently did seminars one a month and put that many people in the room. You would never need to do really much of anything else other than work on filling that room. Um, you know, so one of the things that I think, John, that's made you more successful with them than I see a lot of people be is because um, I've got, a, I got another client, friend, friend of both of ours. And, um, he did one really successful seminar about five years ago and then he didn't do one again. I think he's done a couple here recently, but he went for about five years in between um, despite urging, you know, that he, he go on and, and do them. And um, the consistency in execution is what's going to make you successful. Number one, you're going to get a lot better at executing it. You know, putting on a seminar and getting people in the room is going to get easier the, the more you do it, uh, converting them into appointments is going to get easier the more that you do it. But by showing up on a consistent basis, either once a month or every six weeks and having some event that you're inviting people to 
over and over and over again, the law of average is going to take over pretty quickly and you're never going to have to worry about where's that next prospect coming from. Well, there's another thing too. Even if they don't come, people, it's like people will say to me, colleagues, I say, well, I sent out the flyer and nobody came. So that's a waste of money. I said, okay. Then I'll do it again. But if you keep doing it, even if they don't come to the seminar, now you have top of mind awareness. Even if you're throwing my postcard to trash can, because most of our invitations are by postcard. Nothing fancy, a postcard, big old bright, ugly yellow one, and uh, email. So even if you throw it in the trash can, you had to touch it. You saw my picture, you saw the topic. So I make sure that the picture and the headline of what we're doing is prominent. Okay, so if it's Social Security or Medicare, whatever it is, uh, you know. And I've had people walk in the door with a handful of those cards from the previous seminars that we sent out that they did not attend along with a folder full of emails. So nobody can sour me on that. Now, I'll take a little break. Like during the summer, I, I didn't do one in July. And I took a little break in there. The next one will be Tuesday, September 10th. So we'll gear up for that one. We'll start promoting it next week. We'll get postcards out. And then we'll do some emails, and we'll see where it goes. We'll do something a little different this time. I rarely have a guest speaker but I'm allowing one of our uh, company representatives to come in and do his version of a Social Security and Medicare presentation because I'm curious. I'm testing something. I'm testing to see will we get in the room more people, uh, the same people who've already been, different people. What will we get by having a different speaker instead of me? So I will start us off. I'll have Brian do the presentation, and then I'll wrap it up. And some advice, always start off your seminars. And always end them. And that, because then if you had somebody in the middle that didn't do quite what you wanted, you can do a little damage control. You also can <laughs> that attack. <laughs> well, and you always want to be, you want to have the last word. If, it, if you're putting the event on, you want to have the last word. So, um, John, we've just got a few minutes left. I want to touch on, on a couple of things here before we wrap up. I mean, we could, there's so much to talk about here with seminars. Um, I, I know you've taught multi-day classes on it. Um, you and I collaborated on a, a whole series, uh, a course a number of years ago where we, we walked people through uh, how to do that. And uh, 10 and weeks. Yeah. Over, over weeks and weeks. Um, so there, there are a lot of layers here, but to start off with, if you haven't done them before, it doesn't have to be super complicated. So, um, so let's talk about webinars too, for a second. Can we, can sure. we do that? In? Yeah, absolutely. See, to me, a webinar is nothing more than a seminar, but I'm just not able to see people's faces. So it's an audio version of a seminar shortened. And I try to keep mine to 50 minutes, sometimes only 45 minutes, but I try to keep it around the 50-minute mark. And I usually do not take questions on those. I would do the presentation and then encourage people to call us to book a phone appointment if they like, if they have a question or want to talk more. The purpose of the webinar many times is to fill the gap. We just did one in July. So instead of doing a seminar, we plugged in a webinar. April and I did. And I put her primarily in the spotlight, and I would come in and out as, as uh, necessary. And for, uh, for some background, April Showin has been with me five and a half years, and she is my key person and is rapidly becoming a partner. So it's important for me to step aside some and get the spotlight on her <clears throat> her so that I can have some time freedom as well as the money freedom. 
because if I, if I have to be there to do everything myself, then it's not as productive. And also the same thing with Ed, uh, my colleague that I do seminars with, I'm trying to build a platform for him so that more of my clients can go to work with him if they like it. So there, there's multiple reasons for doing these things. And it's not just to get new business. It's also for those who are in their 60s like I am to help you build a bridge to have a succession plan. Well, John, um, uh, as as we think about somebody who might be getting started at, at this, I, one of the ways that I've often recommended people get going is, you know, if if you feel like putting on your own seminar would be a challenge at first, you know, with all the logistics of it. And there are, there shouldn't be that many logistics. Um, you need a room that'll hold five or 10 people. You probably got a conference room in, in the office building. Um, big advantage to having them come to your office building anyway. It trains them as you and I've often talked about, it trains them to come to you, um, which you want, you want your clients doing, but let's say that that's just a little bit too much to pull off. I, the easiest way I think to get started is is to go and find a civic group that needs a speaker for 20 minutes. And you can be the best friend of the, the poor guy that is on the, the board of that group. Uh, you and I were in Rotary together, John, and I, um, I'll never forget the guy that had that role. You know, he was supposed to book a speaker, I think, every week. Yes. And, and um, that's the toughest job in the whole thing. I'd rather be the president than have to drum up a speaker, you know, because he's got to fill 52 speaking slots right, for, for the year, right? You can become that guy's best friend if you can come in with a presentation that's informative, that is tailored to the members of that group and, um, and isn't salesy. Um, and that positions you really, really well. And it's a great way to, to ease into this and get started, kind of get some legs and then use those speeches as a way to then say, you know, I'm going, I'm going to do a little bit more in depth on this, you know, in, in three weeks or a month or whatever, if you'd like to, you know, learn more, here's how you do it. Next Tuesday at our Rotary Club, I and another person are going to do a presentation on social security. And I was surprised. He's, a, he, he's what I would call a friendly competitor, a young guy in his thirties. But he sent an email out to me and two of the people in our Rotary Club. And the other two didn't want to do it. So he asked me what I'd do with him. <clears throat> I said, well, you've got the presentation. Why don't you use your presentation? I'll be there with you. And I can just add some commentary based on my experience with Social Security and Medicare. So I'm not sure how the details work out yet. We'll, talk, we'll work it out later this week. But I do know that that's an opportunity for about 20 to 25 minutes to be in front of the members. They all know me anyway. But it just cert it hurt, helps for them to see me in front of the room again. Because I speak about at least once a year in my club. Um, but I, I agree. Rotary, Kiwanis, Civitan, Optimus Club, wherever you can go. Uh, one thing we did not do, Steve, let's talk about uh, the costs of putting on seminars. You start off with talking about how people do them at restaurants, big steak dinner. Uh, I don't do that. I just serve heavy hors d'oeuvres, we'll have chicken fingers, we'll have those little sandwiches, we'll do a fruit plate, sometimes uh, various cheeses. Um, uh, we serve no alcohol at all. We'll have water, coffee if people want coffee, and we have soft drinks. And it's held in our training center. So as you said earlier, 
I want people used to coming to my facility, not a nice restaurant or country club. I want them coming here. Now, I have done and I will do some at a nice restaurant, Shulos or somewhere like that. It, that'd be small. That might be two, three, maybe four couples at a time. And then that's more of a social gathering, get to know you better, things like that. But I do well, that. And, and let, let's talk for a minute, uh, maybe maybe wrap on, on this last point. Um, one of the big areas I think folks fail with seminars is they, they give the presentation, they kind of get everybody who's there excited about, you know, solving whatever challenge that, that they came into that seminar to solve, and then they let them go home. Yes. And then they go, well, now I got to follow up with these people and book appointments. And I've, I've heard advisors tell me, I'm like, oh, no, you, you just, you, you missed it. You missed the chance. And when I've been at your seminars, this really weird thing happens at the end. So you've got somebody in the back of the room with your calendar. And at the end, you tell them, you tell everybody there, hey, if you want to talk about this, you know, everything we've covered here and, and you want to meet with me one-on-one and we'll go through your specific situation, then April's at the back of the room or Jay's at the back of the room and you can book an appointment right there. And then it's funny because people immediately stand up and they rush to the back of the room and they line up to book an appointment with the, you know, the famous Mr. Curry. Um, and you don't have to run and chase them to follow up. You're not, you know, going home that night wondering, wow, I wonder how many appointments I'm going to get out of that. You're walking out of that room knowing how many you got. And I, I think that's a huge, huge mistake. Um, and one of the things that, that keeps a lot of folks from getting results out of it. Well, full disclosure, we don't always have them lining up in the back of the room, but we do have the call to action, though. If you'd like to schedule time, you know, see so-and-so in the back of the room, they have my calendar, and we'll schedule a time and visit. Uh, sometimes we'll just have them fill out their appointments, uh, uh, request for an appointment. We get those turned in every time. We may not have people going to get the calendar, but we have people who will fill that out. Probably, I, I, if I had to guess, I'd say probably 50% of the people who attend will turn that in saying, yes, I'd like to schedule an appointment. And they'll check off the day and time they want, like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 10, 12, 2, and 4. We don't have any appointment slots on there for Monday and Friday. Monday, we reserve for telephone appointments. Yeah, and I, to me, using both of those methods in combination gives you the opportunity to to help people take that next step in a really easy way and do it so you don't have to go chase them now. I agree. It makes life easier. And when you do call or someone on your team calls, they're expecting it. But it's not like a big uh, surprise. Oh, yeah, you bait and switch me. You don't get any of that stuff. We don't get that. We don't get it. Well, John, any final thoughts on on presentations? I'm sure we're going to revisit this a number of times as we go forward because there's a lot of nuance and, and layer to this. But uh, I think I think this has been a good overview. I, no, I've enjoyed doing it. I, I think it's one of those things where we've both done it before. We could teach a day uh, or a two day long class just on the mechanics of how do you do a seminar and then the proper way to present while you're doing it. It's just I mean we could we could we could just teach forever on that, but. But the last time I looked, we had about 40 or 45 topics on this list of stuff. We've got to get to. So let's right. come back to this one later. <laughs> That's right. Well, my friend, always, uh, always good to see you. And uh, I look forward to the next episode. Same here, my friend. Thank you very much.